this week on Invasion, the podcast, more villains coming out of Earth 2. We strike up some red apple cigarettes and talk Tarantino. And I regale Joe with the story of Billy Vegas. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, taking over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, has wandered off Stedman, and as always to my left is Joe, has died of dysentery, Peters. <laughs> I was trying to think of something Western to go along because we were talking about oh, Hateful Eight. You wanted to do so I, went, I didn't know if you were going to do... So like, I just put Oregon Trail. I just went straight to the most brutal story we know about Western frontiers. I would have done Paul... 30 minutes away, Joe, be there in 10, Peter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe, would you like to fjord the river fjord. or wait for the river to lower? I um, always say, let's fjord it. And then it always gets knocked over. And, like, that I game is totally yeah. rant. I hate that game so much. <laughs> I like doing it with like whatever, like a work with coworkers and just being like, hey, by the way, you got bit by a snake. We're leaving you. Like, that's it. You're done. So uh, I, I always my best, the best attempt at a Western. There was any, yeah, there was never any, any preventional steps you could do. It was just like dead. <laughs> there, there was a point where I was I was playing this with some college friends of mine, and I was like, "We're talking oh, about Oregon Trail, yeah, no not not, not Hateful Eight the game." <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, Hateful Eight the game could be like that. <laughs> uh, no, nobody wins Hateful Eight the game or Oregon Trail all that often. But I was like, "Michael has died of dysentery. Would you like to bury Michael?" I was like, "No." It just left. It's like I'm just going to leave these people just along oh, the trail. I don't like, remember you getting a choice to bury anybody. Yeah, because I was like, "Nope." And it's like, I, "Are you going to be haunted by their ghost later?" I don't know. That would be funny. Yeah. So I was Here. like, "Could we use him as meat?" <laughs> it's a haunted wagon <laughs> um, so we got, got a lot to get to so i was just jump into this <laughs> wait and we're gonna jump into this <laughs> what you gotta you be doing? kidding me good news everyone I don't know why that button, which is the same size as the other button, I had no problem hitting, but this one, I press it and everything just falls apart. So that's the news. Again, the, the news is for 2016, Paul is still not hitting buttons right. I thought that was one of your resolutions. <laughs> it's just, I you broke know what? It. Don't feel bad. I'm not doing anything. Well, I was going to say, like, yeah, real quick. Mine are going real bad. You, you, you're near nerd your resolutions. I went and picked up my comic books today and I didn't even pick up any DC stuff. <laughs> I had too much stuff there. I was like, eh. um, I, uh, I I'm started a- watching Doctor Who season five. Oh, oh, the Matt Smith doctor. I need to do that. You know, we went and saw uh, the Sherlock special yesterday at, at Valley View. Oh, yeah. Because they did a special for that at Valley View. Um, it was cool. It was two hours long, and it ties into the last season of Sherlock. It's weird. I don't want to I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but basically they did a Victorian-era um, London. Like an actual uh, era-appropriate Sherlock Yeah, story. it was Conan Doyle era. Okay. So it was like, you know, the book. So it was pretty cool. Um, I like Sherlock. It's, have you ever watched it? No, I'm not. It's a good show. Like, it's it's weird because they only do like four episodes a season. 
but they're yeah. like an hour and a half long. Well, and I know that like right now that there's not going to be any new Sherlock for quite a while. So yeah. people were excited for this bit. That was kind of like since both your leads are off making Marvel movies now, like right. or, and Hobbit movies yeah. and other movies. So you can see Doctor John Watson in uh, Civil War and uh, Sherlock Holmes in Doctor Strange. Oh, I hope they meet up. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. Um, so, but yeah, um, I, I just real quick, I started watching Doctor Who season five. Matt Smith era starting. Yeah, um, I will say a couple things real quick. The production value shot up crazy way up, good. Way up. I don't like even even the later tenant stuff was getting better. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened though. Like it it started. I mean, well, it's st- you can still see it's a TV budget, but it's like there it's gotten really good. Well, I I brought that up because while we were watching Sherlock, of course, BBC had to plug Doctor Who like, uh, yeah. in the beginning and stuff. And I haven't watched any of the ninth season yet. We have smart, polite people solving problems. But, BBC. Um, like and Top Gear. The, the, like, just watching the trailers for the ninth season, it was like a lot of the production value. The aliens and the monsters looked incredibly creepy and amazing. Like, it's just, I'm excited to watch it because it's like, it's not just like, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, Christopher Eccleston's, like, you know, <laughs> piece of paper stretched across the thing with a face on it. It's it's like these creepy guys with no eyes. Get into and, my TARDIS, a.k.a. shower curtain. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, no, it's like going from the Eccleston all the way through the tenant stuff up to this. It's like it did. The production value went up, which um, that does help my enjoyment of the show. Not that I'm saying I can't watch like um, well-written stuff aside from, but it does help. Um, Matt Smith, he, he feels like he looks like Odo with more hair. Yeah. Like, uh, so he's a little odd looking, but I'm kind of on board with him. I think there's Matt- a lot of lines that feel like David Tennant lines that he's saying though, but I'm kind of, I'm still yeah. kind of okay with it. Well, him. I think they, they, I think they did give him a lot of David Tennant lines, but at the same time, like Matt Smith, David Tennant was more clever. He he was a lot more sharper, witty as a doctor, I thought. Yeah. And then Matt Smith usually has more humor. Like, he's a little more goofy. Yeah, like, I, he has I'm a little getting more fun that so far. I'm like, yeah. I said, I'm about a fairway There's, through, and I could watch Kieran Gillian all day, so yeah. you kind of already got me hooked. It's just like, A.B. Pond's going to be around for three seasons. I guess I'm kind of down for this. So when, yeah. And then you'll start feeling bad for Rory eventually. Don't worry. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> it's just like, this guy, poor guy. Like, so, yeah, I mean, Doctor Who, I'm, you know, like... It's okay. Like, I'm digging it. So, right. well, we'll keep going anyway. Sorry. So, that's not news. our news. We just got no. sidetracked. <laughs> What's the first part of the news? Yeah, I, I, it took me like six minutes to press a button. I don't even know now. Oh, like, okay. Uh, the well, turtles. for the, the turtles. No, no. We were talking. Was it turtles we'll first? Turtles first. first. Yeah. So, like, TMNT 2 is coming out this summer, right? Yeah. I, I never know. Everything comes it's out, come this out this summer. It's coming out this summer. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, we got Bebop and Rocksteady, obviously, on the way, um, which look really cool. We got to see from the first trailer. Um, the rumor is nothing has been um, uh, said or confirmed, but a lot of a lot of websites doing the rumor mill thing. Uh, that and and spoil if you want to hit spoiler alert because some yeah, people do maybe, not want, maybe I don't know they don't Let's want see. turtles to be exposed. Oh, spoiler! Spoiler alert! Hit that one fine. Well, yeah. that one should work because if it doesn't, then people will be spoiled. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I had one n- job. the The rumor is that Krang is going to be in uh, Turtles Two, so. That'd yeah, be cool. and and if if, if um, Paramount has a Paramount that has turtles, maybe not not Paramount. It's probably Paramount. Yeah, that's I think so. The, so the, Bay, the Bay works under Paramount. Yeah. yeah, if um if they actually are able to keep Mum on that until the movie comes out, don't show me that in a trailer. Like if you like the trailer, the trailer I've already seen, I'm already kind of like, okay, I'm in for this. Yeah. I think it'd be fun not to give away everything, but if right. that's if that's the case, then that shows me that they're getting weird in a good way, mm-hmm. and it's actually getting to the heart of why I liked Ninja Turtles growing up, where it right. was just like fun but also strange and i'm 
I'm on board. I, I think it would be cool, too, if they, because they're going into the realm of Bebop and Rocksteady, because I was telling Paul earlier, I'm like, it needs to get weird. It's a cartoon show. Yeah. Like, it needs to get weird. I would like to see... I would like to see the animals, but not the characters. Like, uh, like a foreshadow. <laughs> like, you know, you have the bunny. You maybe have like the frogs. You've oh, got like yeah. Leatherhead. We were just talking about Leatherhead. You've got the alligator. You know, just all the stuff in Baxter Stockman's lab that could possibly turn into Usagi Jimbo and Leatherhead. And I don't even remember all the frogs' names. What did they name the frogs? Oh, after? the frogs were, were um, they like Napoleon. What they all named like French, like or, or named I, after one was Napoleon. I swear, I, know one of them I was swear, Napoleon. I yeah. yeah. And um, but all those guys like you know yeah. so and even even you know I don't know a jar of flies. I, I or need something. I need I need a Ninja Turtles Battletoads crossover like movie. There we go. That would be so good. People wouldn't be able to finish it. It'd be so hard yeah. just to watch. You just couldn't even get through <laughs> it. It'd be terrible. Um, no, I'm there's your for next this. connected universe. <laughs> yes. Paramount. Get on animals it. that look like people that get fight each it. other. Just we, make it happen. We create movies every new right? podcast. You what guys, do we, what did we come up? The Expendables four the other day. Yeah, that was that's a good. I can't wait till that comes out. Right. So I mean, you got you listen to the show. Someone's out there writing the script already. They're going to make their money. Mm-hmm. Just give us like three percent. That's all we're asking. Um, no, I'm ex- I'm actually more excited for this turtle sequel than I am Batman Superman. Let's just be honest. Uh, I'm actually because yeah. I think I'm going to have more fun with I, the turtles than I am Batman Superman. I had mixed feelings. I saw turtles. I saw. I went and saw it in the theater once, and then okay. I watched it on Netflix. Second time I watched it, I, I appreciated it more. The first time I saw it, I was like, "This was good," but I feel like I just watched like two episodes of a cartoon show back to back. And I had no expectations going in. And I just watched it on Netflix, and I actually ended up finding myself enjoying it a great deal. So my expectations were really low. That's always good, and then you get it brought up. But yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it wasn't groundbreaking. The human elements, terrible. The turtles were fun. They were mm-hmm. point on. I really enjoyed the 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 Transformers shredder. Okay. Um, I thought that was a good villain because, I mean, you've got, like, these seven-foot-tall turtles that are just, like, yeah. you know, beefy and, like, could probably, like, break down a small house. But... <laughs> You can't just have um, him fighting like a small Japanese guy. No, did you so. did you see the TMNT animated movie that had out like yeah, seven eight years ago. ago? Yeah, that was that was good. actually really fun. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, one. so I don't where Raphael was like dressed up as a vigilante. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. One he was, was he was basically cool. Batman Turtle Batman was, Turtle yeah. Man. I don't know that. There's your movie, that. Batman Turtle Man. Another one. Uh, no, I'm excited for this Turtles. I never thought I'd say that I'm excited for the sequel to the Turtles movie, but I am. You know, so there you go. And it can't be any worse than Secret of the Ooze. So yeah. But Vanilla Ice is available. You could have him come in and do oh, another theme dude, song. If he came in and just did a cameo, that would be priceless. Knowing like the the Bay lineage, it wouldn't surprise me if they just sneak him in there for a second. With with nostalgia being on like such like demand, you, you yeah. think they would just be like, "Hey, everybody who's got kids now, remember when you were a kid and this guy was in the Turtles movie?" That's that's like a no brainer to me. Absolutely. That move. I mean, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> so um, speaking of uh, larger than life and villains and, and fun, uh, coming up the, the, after the midseason break, Flash, they're going to start bringing in more uh, bad guys from Earth 2, which is like the whole ongoing storyline yeah. for the season, which you ha- there's a split between planets and uh, you have all different realities and enemies coming across the border and it's all crazy and, and um, was, it's going to be fun. And I was just telling Paul this. It's funny because you'll never hear me say this, but I was like... DC does very, very well with this Earth 2 multi-universe thing. Marvel, not so much. Knock it off. There you go. See, <laughs> see, you're kind of respecting your New Year's revolution. revolution. Yeah, your New Year's revolution. Yeah. The whole Up in se- arms about The whole this. Secret Wars multiverse, ultimate universe ending, battle world stuff was just terrible. But, but, but the... The Earth Two stuff I dig. I like. I like on you know. Then they did this too. Like I, I read 
I haven't read any of the DC books, but I had to do a little research when I was watching the shows to know that like a lot of the the Earth Two people and um, the multi Earths, you know, end up crossing over into different DC universes. So I like how they do that. Like yeah. we were talking about, like the big the the news, the actual news piece that we're talking about is um Robbie Amel, who's Stephen Amel's brother, is returning as Deathstorm, who's a villain when he played Firestorm from Earth One. And the previous seasons. I want him to come back as Bone Storm, the, Bone the Storm. video game from The Simpsons that, remember, that Millhouse bot, Bone uh, Storm? Uh, it was from the very, okay, never mind. I remember Lee, was it Lee Treviso's golf <laughs> like, challenge yeah, or something? Challenge. Like that, challenge. That was the same episode. They wanted to get Bone Storm and Millhouse sitting on the uh, beanbag and went to go put in his uh, his name, Thrill House. Mm-hmm. This is, you have entered Thrill Ho. He's like, so cool. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway. But, but um, Death Storm. Yeah, Death Storm's coming and then like... Um, like everybody was, you were telling me everybody's kind of like was anticipating like uh, Caitlin Snow to go bad. Yeah, because I mean, in the comics, she does become Killer Frost, and the way the series is kind of set up right now, she's one of the one of Team Flash. She's a good-hearted scientist, right. so it's cool to bring in the same character, same actress is playing. She's playing Caitlin Snow, but Earth Two version where she has frost powers right. or something, just or like she just did. causes freeze or burn to things. I don't know what she really does, right. but yeah, just like they did with Doctor Light. But I think Doctor Light is not that character. No. She but just they, makes you inconvenience in the morning when you go out to your car to well, scrape no. the frost off your car. I'm like, talking about the character on the show. I don't think that's who Doctor Light is. In the comics. N- no, I don't. I think you're right. But I think they, that's, they're doing the same type of thing. Like that. That character is a is a metahuman villain in Earth Two. Yeah. So. So and that's and, and uh, that's interesting. I know it's been fun because the the well the Flash is fun because you got one of the main characters, Cisco, who he prides himself in giving all these people names, and it's like it's. It's a convenient device, but it's a good way to get over some of the stupid names these characters have. Right. And it's like, okay, well, if he's just naming them because he wants to have a, like just cool names to call everybody, that's actually I, a really smart way to do it. It's an easy way out. I really like it because it, it gives the characters their names. Because like, one of the things that always disappointed me about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is nobody calls Mockingbird Mockingbird. No. Like Barbara, was it Morse? Yeah. She's Bobby, Bobby Bob, Morse. Bobby Morse. She's Mockingbird, but in the comics, everybody just calls her Mockingbird because that's her code name, her mm-hmm. her superhero name. She's not really a superhero; she's like super agent. Yeah, just like Natasha Romanoff is Black Widow. Everybody's Black Widow, so nobody ever calls her Mockingbird in the comic or in the the Agents of Shield. Which, and, 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 and no one ever calls uh, Daisy Quake. No one's called her Quake. The one guy keeps calling her Trimmers. That drives me nuts. <laughs> I'm like, just could you at least call her? Give her a nickname that's her actual name. Like, yeah, yeah. But, but they'll call Lash Lash for no reason. Yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like can we get Cisco to just kind of like somehow wormhole over to, to Shield Marvel? Yeah, and just like I want to name all of you I'm right a, now. Everybody's got a name. Okay, one hand guy, one uh, hand guy. <laughs> old Asian lady, but doesn't look old. <laughs> yeah, Mulan. <laughs> Moving on. Mulan. Um, you know that actress? She's like fifty one. I know, but she Maggie. was the voice of Mulan, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she okay. was. But I she wasn't was, making a racist comment. No, 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 no. She was the voice yeah. of Mulan. Uh, I know what you were doing, okay. but yeah, but, no, but she no, like uh, Ming Na is like yeah, she. Yeah, she looks like she's in her early thirties. You no, know, gorgeous. Yeah. and still kicks butt. Amazing. But but yeah, like um, it's the Flash is a lot of fun, and with, uh, with having Firestorm, which was the name of a project, so that's why. But then Deathstorm, where does that name come from? Other than that guy's angry, he's going to kill people. I'm sure they'll find a new anagram for death. <laughs> Probably dynamic like, dynamic action action transforming ta- transmutation human heat. i don't know yeah. and then just storm storm <laughs> the last just storm well what's the storm stand for it stands for the same as the other storm we just got just go with it just, you know yeah. 
Um, so, um, yeah, we're excited. And I know it just feels like the, the flash no pun intended is gaining momentum as the season goes on. So I can't wait. Season one ended so well that I'm just, I can't wait for season, the second half of season two, um, arrow arrow will be there and I'll watch it and yeah. legends of tomorrow will be a lot of fun and I'll watch that too. Yeah. I'm pretty excited for legend. Tomorrow. Yeah. As, as am I. So, uh, next bit that we have here, just want to mention, cause we need to give some Rick and Morty love cause, uh, we Wubba loves us some Rick. Yeah. Wubba Lubba Dub Dub. Uh, there is a free-to-play game coming out on the 14th for, um, it's, I think it's for iOS and Android, um, and what is it, for Android and Apple. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think, I, oh, the way maybe, you made it sound, it was like a, like a Game Boy Pokemon. No, 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 it's, it's a phone game. Oh, I'm getting that. Yeah, it's free-to-play. It's called, uh, what is it, uh, Pocket Morty's. And it's basically Rick with his Morty, and you go around to challenge other Ricks with their Mortys. It's like very much Pokemon, like, you know, love letter to Pokemon, but very much Rick and Morty style humor. What if you come across the, the eye patch Morty, and he's controlling the Rick? I, that would be great. I also want to come across the, uh, uh, the blobby ones. What do they call them? Um, oh, remember, they all got turned inside out and weird, and, and like they ended up, uh, the whole, whole world got poisoned, and they all turned into, what do they call them? It was the name of the director of The Fly. Um, oh, shoot. I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. That whole episode, there were so many different Ricks and Mortys. Directed Scanners. Directed um, History of Violence. No, nothing. Nothing. Cronenberg? Yeah, that's it. The Cronen- They kept calling him Cronenberg uh, Rick and Morty. It's like Cron- Cronenberg Morty. Cronenberg whatever. They kept saying that over <laughs> and over again. Uh, so I hope they come across all that. And also, I'd love to see a nod to the, the, the scientist formerly known as Rick, even though he's no longer with us. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I'm excited for that. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I just wanted to point that out because we're not getting any real Rick and Morty till next year. So we've got to play the game and watch the previous two seasons. Yeah. So, and one last story here. So we'll throw this out here. Joe doesn't know I'm going to mention this, but, uh, since we had mentioned, um, a, a emu on the uh-huh. loose over on the East coast a few weeks ago, that was harassing people. If you remember, it was like in Delaware, it was neatly. It's when uh, Maggie was on. We're talking about, uh, emus. Oh, okay. and, said and I found out that you both thought, told me that emus are dicks. I didn't realize that. There was an owl in Oregon that's targeting government workers. Because it was originally this owl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, finish you know, the story. No, it's just, uh, there was an owl that, like, this is, the original story was that this, this owl was showing aggression, which they think is. This sounds like the plot of, like, a bad TV show. I know. It sounds like an X-Files episode that shouldn't have been aired, right? Um, this owl they, it was originally just targeting other, like, just people, like, die bombing, scratching their head, whatever. They think it's a mating display. And they got it shoot away from wherever it was, but it's come back, and it just seems oddly enough like targeting people that work in the government because I think it's the building nearby, not because of the government. I just think it's that they happen to be walking by. That's hilarious. And so, um, oh. and, and for the like, the uh, supposedly like Rachel Maddow of MSN, she made like an attack owl sign and put it up like part of her newscast, and they said, "Hey, can we have that?" So she gave permission. So now there's like attack owl signs that people are buying. They've raised like all this money for charity, but this owl is still out there just dive bombing people. Like, <laughs> just I. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I just thought we would keep the trend going on the show and just report all acts of bird oh, violence bird violence we need to come up with a with a a, a sound bit for bird violence <laughs> well i mean you know this should be our going forward waiting for the angry birds movie to come out during the summer we should always have oh, more Jesus. stories of bird violence right yeah um, you know the countdown like star wars <laughs> and then yeah more bird violence reports <laughs> um there's some quotes in here it says uh, everybody loves the owl well i'm sure those whose heads aren't clawed up but everybody else and then uh, someone, the person said, police in Salem are monitoring for reports of owl attacks, but we haven't arrested any owls, said spokesperson Lieutenant uh, Dave Okada. Like, um, well, you know, it's, I, I thought 
thought that was funny. So I wanted to bring up some random owl attacks. And also, since you mentioned that you'd want to buy a Falcon or get a free Falcon for the Black Friday deal. So yeah. Actually, just- I don't even like birds. <laughs> I love all animals. Birds. I'm like Ace Ventura. Like Ace Ventura hates bats. I, birds are my bat. I'm like. I'm, nope. I'm okay with them. Um, yeah. I, can t- I can give or take a penguin. Does, <laughs> they don't bother me. But for some reason, I just birds. Ah, parakeets I'm okay with. No. Those are small enough. No. You could smush them if they get out of line. Just yeah, smush them. I'm just, or I'm trade just, them to your neighbor after the head falls off. I'm just like always dumb ready dumber. to smush them. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, did you? You said that you picked up comics. You didn't have anything that you read this week for for comics. I okay. am. I'm on vacation this week, and and my vacation from everything. My oh my god! This is a literally. I'm going to just vice the crap out of myself on this vacation with uh, whiskey and video games and comic books. That's the grown up way to go. I don't blame you. Yeah. Like, um, I, I had four days off, and all I did was watch that Making a Murder on Netflix. That's like I that that's kind of my two. It's yeah. whatever I get around to. But like I have a whole pile of comics because the whole Christmas season, I literally didn't have my my typical days off, so I couldn't really just you know relax and not like work like ten, twelve, eleven hour days. So yeah. this is this is me time vacation, and I'm going to try to burn through all my comics. So oh, there you go, and some more Fallout, I'm sure. Oh my God, Fallout <laughs> consumes me. Right now, as I knew it would, it's not a surprise. So, so I don't have the spoiler alert that uh, Fallout has consumed your life. No, there's no okay. spoiler about it. I played it for like seven hours today. <laughs> All right, so, which is terrible, but no, I planned that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference between being a grown up and like a college student, where it's like you have to specifically plan time to be like, I want to find six hours and do nothing but video games. And I mean, that sounds generous probably for some of us, but for me, I'm like, nope, I have this big chunk that's video game time. If you could think of any game on Rails that you've ever played where it tells you a linear story, take that and then Fallout's a damn ball of yarn. Because I don't know how many times I'm just like, okay, there's a bip on my map. I'm going to go over here and be like, oh, what's that? What's that? I'm in an underground subway now. I'm like, I just found, I got to go back and drop all this stuff off. I'm going to come back and pick all this other stuff. Three hours later. Oh, wait, I'm back here dropping all my stuff off. I should probably build a couple buildings. Yeah. It's, it it gets your hooks in and that's it. You know? Yeah. So I've been afraid. I I had, I have it put down for a while. Like I haven't touched it in like a couple weeks. I'm afraid to pick it back up. And I've, I've got a lot of other games. Like there's this new game. My one friend wants me to play called arc, which is in its alpha state beta alpha stages. Mm -hmm. And I guess it came out on steam. And it's a survival evolve type game, like DayZ ish, mm-hmm. but it's on a, on a mystical island full of dinosaurs. Yeah. So you basically you have to make sure you eat, you have to make sure you drink, you can freeze to death, you can starve to death, you can overheat, um, and then on top of that, it's like all the other stuff wants to kill you, and you have to build everything. Like, well, and and, and not to go off on a tangent because we're going to get to hateful here in a second. I read a story about when that game was in alpha, or when it was being tested, that there was a player on one of the servers that was kind of just being a menace to everybody. Uh-huh. But the thing is, like, if you kill them, that isn't really punishment. So the guy, people got together and and made like a box, put his character in. Yeah. But then slowly, they kept giving him food and water to make sure that that character would stay alive, so he yeah. couldn't respawn. So, but they kept him under lock and key. Yeah, and he couldn't go anywhere. My my buddy, he that already happened to one of his friends. <laughs> they caught him because there was there's these tribe feuds they've already gotten into. Like this guy was sneaking into their camp and and he and um he joined their group and he had their flag for their tribe. Okay, and then he went and he took his because you can tame the dinosaurs. He he tamed tamed a pterodon or something, which is a flying like a pterodactyl. Would he would take other animals that were tamed? He would fly them over and drop them in the other <laughs> tribe's base, 
they would attack everyone, and then they would have the flag from the other tribe. So the other tribe thought that they were getting attacked by oh, this thing. Oh, that's smart. So what oh, ended up sneaky. happening was they finally caught him, and they put him in, like, a cage, and they just kept him there for, like, like four days. And every time he logged in, he was in that cage. <laughs> and I think he actually got out somehow, and then he attacked, like, one of their Triceratops, and then the t- Triceratops killed him. So he was able to respawn somewhere else. Yeah. So would you call that frontier justice? Yeah, it's all frontier <laughs> justice. I'm like, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's one of those, and like you know, like you're there's times I sh- I watched a couple of YouTube videos and dude just punching a tree, getting wood, and mm-hmm. then he punches a rock, gets some rocks, and then he builds a little tomahawk, and then he's chopping and gathering stuff, and I guess you can get it all the way up to like you know some modern day stuff like assault rifles and things like that. But I mean, you start on the beach and you're in your underwear and, and you got to get everything else. Yeah. I mean, I played rust for like a split second and yeah. that's kind of, but I, I was just running around naked and covered in radiation. That didn't really last very long, much how I would be in real life. If I was put in that kind of wilderness situation, yeah. I had a rock and I heard a wolf and that was it for me. I'm going to yeah. check it out and report back on it. Yeah. So just don't get stuck in a box. Be nice. Try to be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, <laughs> I, and that was that was fun. So let's get on to this. And now for our feature presentation. Which is super appropriate because... It is super appropriate. Quentin Tarantino uses that in a lot of his movies. That's that's true. Like I remember uh, for uh, Grindhouse, I uh, went and saw yeah. that. And I just... Uh, I am that. so happy I got to see Grindhouse in the theater. You saw it too? I saw it, okay. a co- I saw it twice in the theater and... That I, I I real quick I went we both went and saw um, Hateful Eight in seventy millimeter yeah we the saw theater. the roadshow presentation at uh, Valley View which is and like one of fifty theaters doing it I know it sounds silly but if you do get the chance and if you're a fan like go see these movies like this in the theater I know a lot of people are like I'll just wait till it comes out in DVD a lot of his stuff gets. I don't want to say a lot of his stuff. Like, Grindhouse especially and Hateful Eight will definitely get bastardized when they come out on home video. Because with the three hours... Hateful Eight's three hours long. Yeah. Okay? Two hours into it, you get an intermission. And then you come back. The intermission is cut at a perfect time. Yes. Um, and then uh, as far as, like, the 70-millimeter frame scope, it, it, it was definitely kind of cool to see it, especially the way that everything's in just one room. Yeah. Like just so, I, and I wasn't thinking about that at the time while watching it because you know you got everything going on in front of you, um, and when I think of seventy millimeter, I think of wide vistas and and there's and I guess there's additional minutes of footage in the roadshow presentation versus the regular theatrical run that does kind of it's more it's just more glory to these wide shots of yeah. the outside, and I'm completely down with that because there's something. I mean, not that there isn't good cinematography now, not that, not that there's epic scopes to films now, because there is. It's just that there's maybe because we were raised to like you grow up with a certain when you watch TV, you watch movies. These movies were made a certain way with the technology at the time, and so you kind of feel that's how movies are supposed to look. Right. So there's certain things I've never kind of ever let go of, and this looked like a film. It did look like a film, like even the the carriage rides. With the backdrop of the snow, yeah. the lighting, you could tell it was the way that it was shot. Because usually they filter, digitally filter all that stuff out. Mm-hmm. But there was like, there was heavy blur. It was almost like you were sitting in the carriage and it was like, it was like you had to squint. But even though you're in a dark theater and it's white, it's a completely different. It's hard to describe how bright that snow was yeah. because it was, it was bright enough on screen that it would, it would actually blur out some of the, the, the actors and they didn't look as crisp because that's how it would look if you're sitting in that carriage. Yeah. Um, but 
uh, going back to what I was saying about Grindhouse, um, Grindhouse in the theater. You that was had, an experience. That was a great experience because you had Robert Rodriguez's movie, and then you had the trailers, which were awesome. Yes. And the only way you could see the trailers now, I think, is if you go on YouTube. Yeah. And and then you saw Tarantino's piece, and they were all mashed together. It was one experience, and then when they came out, it was like, um, because I guess it didn't do so well in the theater. It did terrible. They Miramax yeah. did... Uh, Rodriguez's movie is a separate movie that came out, and then Tarantino's movie that came out. So you didn't watch them back to back in the middle, and then have the t- trailers in the middle. Yeah. You didn't even get the trailers if you watched. And them. I didn't know that they were two full length movies. I thought they were like going to be like, like hour one hour, yeah, like kind of like you know, like a like a Tales from the Crypt, Two Fisted Tales type of. Yeah, you have shorter stories, but they were full length movies. Um, not that I, you know, I, I loved it, but I just was expecting a shorter experience. Cause like, there's no way they're going to show us two films for the, this price and, and kind of give you this whole experience right. of, uh, seeing Nicolas Cage in a trailer. Just, um, what was, that was the vampire. That was the werewolf. The, the Nazis. The SS or something. The SS, yeah, yeah. He played Fu Manchu. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Rob Zombie was like the leader of the Nazi werewolves or something, something like, like that. that yeah. It was yeah. like crazy. Like those trailers were awesome. They were a great part of that movie. Like Thanksgiving. I want a Thanksgiving movie. And that's the one they keep talking about getting made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's the Edgar Wright don't. Is that, was that the yeah, one? Yeah, don't, don't was yeah. pretty cool. Uh, so anyway, uh, getting off track. Um, so yeah, we got to see Hateful Eight. Um, and we do want to talk more about Tarantino as opposed to just Grindhouse. Um, or Hateful Eight for that matter. I mean, we're going to talk about Hateful Eight. But yeah. Like, I mean. Just I just I again. I I'll say that if it's still showing at the Valley View, um, the theater, go go Here, check out the seventy millimeter. If you get a chance, it, it's a treat. Here's the deal with the seventy millimeter too. Like like we were saying, like go see it how it was filmed. Um, you know, the seventy millimeter is only available in what you say fifty states. At fifty theaters. Or fifty theaters. Fifty, 50 states. Yeah, fifty states. states. Yeah. Every state's got one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like only fifty theaters. Like fifty worldwide. Theaters. I from what yeah. I understand that they went through and so yeah. Nowadays, there's there aren't any 70 millimeter projectors around so that they basically were limited to that. And it's supposedly a road show, which means that I guess the reel is going to move. Yeah. And and, and I know that, and and I I think by the time you and I saw it, there was supposed to be like these little handout pamphlets and everything that went with it too, to make it feel more like, Oh, you're going to this feature and you're doing all this. So it it um, felt, it felt unique. It wasn't like I just, you know, and not, and, and, Look at me saying this. It wasn't like I just slapped down 15 bucks and watched Star Wars that was like, <laughs> you know, spewed at the public by Disney with tons of mo- money thrown at it. This this actually felt like somebody made a movie and because the dude does make movies that he cares about. And yeah. He's a huge film geek and it shows in his work. And it's 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 I know if you love movies, it's a treat to go see stuff like this. So. Well, and that and, and also before. So this this roadshow version, 70 millimeter intermission in the middle, which the regular cut does not have that. Uh, some extra, you know, footage in there, and then also there's like a three to four minute overture that plays before the beginning of the movie, yeah. which is just a single frame. It's like this uh, the shot of the mountains and a little uh, like um, stagecoach type of thing, like horse and buggy type of bit, and then uh, it's all like red and black, mm-hmm. yeah, very ominous, yeah. And the overture, which does not play in the rest of the movie, still kind of gives you that tone of like something's not right, things aren't going to add up. It does set the and tone for it the was, movie. Like I closed my eyes and just kind of let it hit me for a bit because it's just like, when am I going to be in a theater getting this kind of chance just to kind of experience this movie that's saying, Hey, we're giving you three minutes to get in the headspace before we even start the movie. Well, and, and that's, that's unique. Interesting fact. And we talked about this before and you brought this to my attention about the overture and the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, he got, uh, uh, Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Mar- I think that's Mar- how you pr- pronounce his e- name. Ennio E N N I O Marconi, uh, Morricone, Morricone. Yeah. He did, 
the soundtrack to the movie The Thing, the second thing. Well, he um, so Morricone is known for a bunch of spaghetti westerns. Did a bunch of the Clint Eastwood like you know Good, the Bad, the Ugly, which mm-hmm. funnily enough I have the soundtrack. I still haven't finished the movie, but I own the soundtrack, and the soundtrack's really, really good. Um, and he also did work with John Carpenter for the thing, and did do a like. And Carpenter's like, well, I use keyboards all the time. Like everything I do is a synth. I want you to write actual music for this movie. And then Morcone looked at the movie. He's like, well, I kind of want to use keyboards for this. Yeah. So it's kind of this weird mix. But he had a score that he didn't use. That because Tarantino's like, you should write movie music for this new movie. He's like, I don't have time. I have this though, <laughs> and. I've heard that music a lot because I found the soundtrack years ago. I love the thing. You had not heard that music. No. And like it's – well, you told me that before I went and saw it. Yeah. So with that in my mind and my expectation going into seeing Hateful Eight, like I was listening for it and I was picking it up. Like, yeah. Especially with the blizzard being set in the, in the winter in Wyoming, there were a lot of scenes that like not so much like brought me into thinking I was watching the thing, but like – well, the whole bit when they're taking the spikes and yes. pounding out to go yes. to the outhouse, and you see that snow blowing sideways, yeah, and it's all dark, but not dark enough, and, and then you hear is... that music, and it's like, and it's like, oh wait, there's Kurt Russell, and he doesn't trust anybody, and it's a small room, <laughs> and it's yeah. dark and it's snowy, and I kept hearing this music, and I, I think I, I told Joe when I saw this movie, I was like, knowing this music, I kept getting this weird deja vu that I've seen this movie, but I've never seen it before. Right? It was. It was. But it that, fit. You wouldn't know. Yeah, that, yeah. That, the soundtrack fits so well. And I'm not saying that... Even like, like the Jack Black thing that popped up, like the White Stripes music. The, right. the, in the beginning, there's a song that plays like after the brief bit. like After the overture? No, like there's a bit where the coach is moving before it gets to the haberdashery and they pick up, like I think they pick up Sam Jackson. Then mm-hmm. there's a White Stripes song that plays. Hmm. At least it's Jack White. I know that. Okay. Um, and it's like, it was very but, not period specific, but it fit. Okay. But, Which is Tarantino. He does that. Anyway, yeah. sorry. But no, you're, but the soundtrack, I mean, it was great. It did give a great feeling to the whole tone of the movie. I just, I thought that was like a big part that I loved about and, it. And a lot of the soundtrack is available online. Definitely. The overture is online too. Just, just put it on and listen to it. It's just something you don't hear music like this anymore for movies. And that's it. Like, even though we just got done watching star Wars and John Williams is like, he's a master and the star Wars theme is very much recognizable. Yeah. Um, but that's also from a different time. This other stuff is also from a different time too, but it's not so easily attached to a um, like a franchise. So it does feel like you're going back in time a little bit. So that just props. That's yeah. I like that he's he has been going into period pieces with his last three movies. Yeah, um, I think it's it's pretty interesting. Um, like, well, let me ask you this: like, what are you don't have to go in order, but like, what are your what are your th- Let's say three favorite Tarantino movies. Uh, that's uh, that's tough. I mean, well, there's not many to choose from. I guess I know there's right? only like eight or nine. Um, Kill Bill. When I saw Volume One in the theater, I was just floored because yeah. it was so so flipping cool. Um, the second half is still good, but the first half has so much going on, like just action sequence after action sequence. Um, even though it doesn't feel like that. I mean, you got the whole Vendetta Green bit at the beginning in mm-hmm. the house, and then you have the big showdown. You know, at the, what do they call it? The House of the Falling Leaves or whatever. Yeah, House of Falling Leaves. Yeah. Um, and that was just something, it was just, I had not seen anything like that. Even though he was paying homage to, like, the Shaw Brothers and all the other stuff, I had never seen any of those movies, but I've seen Kill Bill, and that was a really fun experience in the theater. Grindhouse, just because of the experience, was awesome, but that's Death not Proof. exactly. Yeah, Death Proof was fun. Um, and I didn't see Inglourious Bastards in the theater, or Django, actually. I, you know, I've I'll, seen, 
Oh, what is the only ones I didn't see? I didn't see Reservoir Dogs or... Um, oh, that's true. I mean, uh, yeah. Pulp Fiction in the theater. Like, I, I think for me, the three are... They have to be Kill Bill. And I take Kill Bill as like a whole movie. Yeah. I don't say... I know that he does film one and two, volume one and two. But Kill Bill is a whole movie. So Kill Bill is, is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. And then uh, Pulp Fiction. And then probably... I want to say Reservoir Dogs after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the, I guess now I think about it, I've only seen Kill Bill and Hateful Eight in the theater. I haven't seen the rest. Like, the yeah. rest of them I've seen just in, you know. I think uh, for me, number four would probably be uh, Bastards or Hateful Eight now. Yeah. That's a good close four. So, and, and, and Death Proof's amazing, but I think because it's like, it's so, it's so short. Yeah. I feel like if it was longer and they did not not that it doesn't have enough character development. No, no, that and it I purposely feel, feels like it's two different movies because if you look, it looks like they have a stuntman Mike movie at the beginning, and then there's definitely a cut where even the cinematography changes, and then you have the whole Zoe Bell right. on the car bit that looks like they took a production as like we didn't have money, but we have this other part of a movie. Yeah, and it feels very jammed it, together. It does feel on like purpose. It feels like two parts of a movie to push together. You're right. Yeah. It does. Um, so yeah, I know. I um, it's uh, hateful. Uh, I I have enjoyed this a lot. Um, what was the first uh, Tarantino movie you've seen? Was the first was the first gateway into because I know. Oh well, Reservoir Dogs. See, mine was Pulp Fiction. Oh, because like I I wasn't hip to it until uh, Pulp Fiction. And the, and the funny thing, I don't know if I've ever talked about it. Um, I can't remember what grade I was in. I think I was in like sixth grade, maybe I don't know, sixth or seventh grade. But um, one of my friends who uh was one of my best friends when i was in like uh grade school um he loved uh what's his name um jules like and we were oh, probably uh, jules uh, uh Sam Jackson. samuel jackson's character sorry <laughs> what's his name what no i'm just, I just yeah sorry but like it was say just what's his name one more time it was <laughs> say what's his name one more time but it was so funny because um uh like we were kids i think we were like 13 or 12 but, like, we were fascinated with Pulp Fiction, and the subject material in Pulp Fiction is so gritty and adult. It's not like any other rated R movie before that. Like, when we, yeah. like I've talked about watching Terminator when they're, when they're having sex and we get caught, and we're like, oh, no, there's boobs <laughs> on the screen. It's completely different. I mean, like, Ving Rhames is getting, you know, you know yeah. sodomized in the basement of a pawn shop, and, you know, it's just like – but um, – I just remember, like, this, this it guy... It was very different at the time. It was very like, different. Yeah. And, and I just... I'll never forget my buddy going around school just quoting that movie. <laughs> and, like... <laughs> and people not know what the hell he's talking about, but he was just in love with that movie. Uh, and it's a good one to fall in love with. The reason I saw Reservoir Dogs first is just, like, I grew up in a small town in West Virginia. We had, like, the little local mom-and-pop video stores. And one of my friends at the time... He, I don't know how he found, he, he knew what this movie was, but we didn't really know what it was. We just saw the cool cover of the guys in like the all matching suits, like mm-hmm. the white shirts, the black jackets, the ties, uh, the sunglasses. And then it just looked like in the name just doesn't, the name doesn't tell you anything anyway. It doesn't no. And, and, and I think it's on purpose. And I you think know? a like, lot of people forget it's about a diamond heist. Yeah. Right. Like that's not even really mentioned in it. You have to kind of figure it out. And, and then the, the, the way the, the movie itself is kind of told out of order for the most part. Which he does a lot in his lot of his movies. Yes, he does, and that's so. I mean that's definitely I, I can't think of a movie other than other than Death Proof that goes forward from front to end. Yeah. without him actually. Yeah, you're right. Back, Def, Death Proof doesn't point. jump around. Neither no. does Jackie Brown actually. Oh, you, you well, said you yeah. never saw. No, I've Jack not Brown. seen Jackie Brown. Um, 
Uh, Which is coming. That Cleveland Cinemas is doing a midnight showing of that. And I think I'm going to go see it there. I'm going to get this out of the way now while we're in this Tarantino cast. I do not like Jackie Brown at all. <laughs> like, that was based... Don't let Pam Greer hear you say that. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was. That was based on a novel, and I know he didn't write it, but he directed it, but I had a hard time getting through that movie actually and i think that's um i think that's probably why he's only only done things since that he's written yeah you know and um well even like natural born killers and true romance he wrote but didn't direct yeah which i remember watching natural born killers and at the time i was like man oliver stone really stumbled across something here and i thought it was more him because yeah. i didn't understand at the time the big difference because i was too i think i was too young to really get that like you know sometimes directors aren't the ones to really write their own material right and that felt like one of the last relevant films he's done and it was so bizarre and but i don't know if if tarantino had made that movie himself i don't know how it would actually go because that I, movie is also kind of hyper reality yeah like the whole ronnie dangerfield bit in the middle remember it was like the sitcom that wasn't really a sitcom and it was messed up yeah like how would you i mean that was very I, different I've, i would I, I i agree with you i would like to see what he would have done with it and i think that he not that I mean Oliver Stone's an amazing director, but not that yeah. you know I think that Tarantino definitely was the driving force behind Natural Born Killers. Not yeah. Oliver Stone. So, so with with this Hateful Eight, you've seen it, you liked it. Um, with Tarantino movies, it's usually like you get your cast characters. There is a boatload of dialogue, but it's always engaging, entertaining, and even if they're talking about like. Oh, this letter that I have, it's really entertaining. I don't know or how he how I got this wristwatch. Like the dialogue is like the stories. I mean, even like the 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 beginning of Reservoir Dogs at the, when they're at talking the diner, about tipping yeah. and they're talking about like a virgin, it's like that's uh, like amazing and I love the dialogue in um uh death proof when, when they're, they're around at lunch the, yeah very reservoir dogs like uh ask in the the diner when they're having a conversation while they're having breakfast or getting ready to finish up breakfast um it's such a great scene they, and all a lot of that like i think at least for like death proof it's like a lot of that single take where you got the camera moving slowly around so the actors have to be yeah. engaged on point and then also all the stuff going on around and especially death proof because there's some stuff going on in the background with stuntman Mike that had to hit its point, so you, the viewer, saw it while they're having this conversation. Right. That, but the, still, the conversation going on the front is very engaging. I think his foreground background style is very apparent and it's very good. Like the seventy millimeter thing with Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Tim Roth said, like it was difficult for him to like stay. Like in character, not difficult, but it was just different for him to stay in character because, like, he's in the shot. He doesn't. Most of the actors didn't realize how wide the shot was. Yeah. When it was going <laughs> on, and when you watch it, like, there's. I mean, it's a cabin, so I mean, it's not giving anything away. There's like people having dialogue in front of a fire and two chairs, but then you see Kurt Russell and um, Jennifer Jason Lee off in the background, and they're still in the frame in the shot. Yeah. So they're still having to act and and you know drink coffee or eat stew or just you know have dialogue their own on the background so it's like he does that a lot where it's like there's there's many characters in a frame yeah and he does it on purpose because i know there's certain things like you know there's a scene and it's interesting because i know like the scene where um not not so much a scene but in hateful eight there's a part where it's a complete opposite of that where he doesn't want you to see any of the other characters for a reason yeah and it's focused on what's going on. The what's foreground. going on yeah. in the foreground? And normally you could see the whole background, but he purposely doesn't want goes, you to see the background. He gets really close on what's going on. Yes. And, and I, I got suckered. Like I just, uh-huh. I will, I will believe. It's just like I went along, and I was just like, 
it, it got me, yeah. you know, and it worked. Um, but what I was going to say, though, is a lot of Tarantino movies, they always end, like, in bad ways for a lot of people, it's, right? It's, and, and it felt like with Hateful Eight, it's like, okay, we're talking, 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 talking. We're done talking. Yeah. And boop, here we go. You guys, you guys were wondering when the violence is going to happen. Here's a bucket, and here's <laughs> another exactly bucket. Here's happens. seven buckets. Oh, here's buckets and buckets and buckets. Yeah. And then you hear yeah. a truck backing up. Yeah. <laughs> What's like, that? More buckets of blood. Come on. Yeah. Heads are gone. Like it's like we have more blood in here than there were people. I don't yeah. know how that happened. Like if yeah, there's so many times where I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, you, you get you get lost in the story, but then in the back of my head, I'm like, who's going to die and how are they going to die? Like yeah. you know it's coming. Um, like, so with that being said though, like I felt like once, once hateful eight wrapped up and knowing the pedigree of Tarantino where it's cool character development, it is a lot of things going on and a lot of like dialogue and like, like, especially glorious bastards did this well too, where like the, the bar sequence in there, whenever, um, Fassbender was trying to prove that he was yeah. a Nazi when he wasn't, mm-hmm. that whole thing was like a dialogue that was basically a chess game trying to determine who was and wasn't he's Tarantino was really good at that. But then it's like. You have all that going on. You've got that the people celebrating in the background. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, but then it turns bad. It's like Hateful Eight was really good, but it's like I feel like I don't know what I was expecting in terms of an ending because it's like it's a Tarantino movie. What am I? What else was I expecting? Like it feels like he. The only thing I'd say but, that's a negative is like the, I've seen him play this hand a lot. But with Tarantino, is it more um, the journey? Yeah, that's what I was okay. gonna say. More journey. You can hit spoiler alert because, like, with Tarantino, it's not so much like um, spoiler, spoiler alert. It's not so much like Pulp Fiction, where it's like certain people just go on and then it's happily ever after. Like the end of actually Pulp Fiction, the end of Pulp Fiction, if you put it in chronological order, is Butch riding off into the sunset on his bike with his French girlfriend. Yeah, that's that- the last sequence of events in a timeline. Um, so those people are fine. In Hateful Eight. Like, it's basically, like, the end, the end, it's like, I think it's just a bad Shakespearean tragedy. I, I was, you know, it's yeah. funny that you say that, because it's like, we, we, we think on the same... For a good Shakespearean tragedy. Well, well yeah. yeah, I was going to say, we're, we think so much alike that we finish each other's sandwiches. Uh, we, I was going to write that, I was going to put Tarantino in, in the level, not the same high regard as Shakespeare, but he has tragedy, but he also has these asides that... Like, uh, Inglourious Bastards had a lot of these, like, offshoot stories that you didn't necessarily need, but it colored the world. And Django, like, when you have the whole bit with Don Johnson and Jonah Hill, like, that had nothing to do with the rest of the movie, but it was like, you kind of got the vibe of the of the world they live in, and it was entertaining, and it had nothing to do with anything, but I'll spend five minutes watching that. Who else can get away with that in a movie? But that's, like, one of the reasons why... I you know we love him he's so great is like he he will take you on a you usually know what you're on a ride for or you yeah. think you do and then he'll catch you off guard with a scene like that yeah. where they're all trying to fix their hoods and it's just like what what's wait a minute what's going or on or even the the running statement about the door in the hateful eight like that, that yeah that was hilarious it, just, it, it was funny <laughs> and then it was funny and then there's something about it like just the way everyone kept like saying things yeah it just piled up and it was like only he could make that. But funny. He does such a good job of putting certain things in to kind of bring your guard down a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because yeah, if you're laughing, then then you won't notice when like you know right. when the gun gets pulled or the or the knife gets pulled out. It's like you know because because Shakespeare is really good at that too, where it's like oh you have the tragedy, and then comedy relief, and then here comes more tragedy. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, uh, but who who in this modern day and age that is like a triple A filmmaker? Like people will go to the theater to see who can still Scorsese? I think gets away with it. Uh, cause Wolf of Wall Street, 
was really good, but you didn't have to have as much well, in there. And like you got Goodfellas and Casino, all those that are really good texture stories. You didn't have to have every element, but you're glad that it's there. Well, Scorsese definitely is a good stand-up, but Scorsese's he he doesn't use a lot as much original content. That's true. A lot of his stuff he's like lately at he, least he's, he collaborates. Kind of, he's collaborating. And, yeah, yeah. Um like I love The Departed, but that's oh, basically yeah, yeah, yeah. a remake of uh Infernal Affairs. Infernal Affairs. Yeah. Um, that's like one of my favorite Scorsese movies. Um, but like, um, what was I going to say? Uh, uh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Like I, like, that's true. I was, I mean, I would say, I would say for, I, I'd view that as a negative with him though, is that he's starting to kind of, I don't know, there's times where it's like, do you just get to what you need to get done here, man? He's starting to, to me, he's starting to get that, that Tim Burton thing. A like, little bit. Like, Tim yeah. Burton in the early 80s was just, like, on the rise. Like, you know, I got Batman, Beetlejuice, all this stuff. I ha- I'm a great director. And then things just kind of fell off. Like, Sleepy Hollow. Um, see, I didn't even really like Alice in Wonderland that much. See, I didn't mind Sleepy Hollow. But, like, a lot of people yeah. just attach, like, immediate greatness to him. You know what yeah. I mean? And some people will kind of, like, boo me because I'm not a big Tim Burton fan. Um, that's fine. But... <laughs> Um, but yeah, Nolan's starting to hit that. Like, like I didn't really, I didn't think Interstellar was a terrible movie, but after I watched it, I was kind of like, I don't know. This wasn't, this wasn't Inception and this wasn't The Dark Knight. Yeah, no. Or even, what was it? Um, The Prestige. Yeah. Interstellar was like half of a good movie, like beautifully shot. Soundtrack was really good. McConaughey was really good. Um, those stick robots were really good. Like the, the square, like I could, yeah. like uh, those robots are really awesome. I, I don't can know Lego th- myself into anything. Yeah. Right. Pirate ship. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you turn into a pirate ship when the damn water came? <laughs> yeah. He turns into that big floating couch. Like that, uh, Emmett always envisioned in the Lego movie. Like, why can't you do that? No. Uh, yeah. so like, I feel like, like Tarantino, like he still, I don't know. He, for someone that has as much control over his finished product, he knows when he can be like, I'm going to wander off this trail for a minute and have Sam Jackson tell, a hell of a tale and then be like this, this, it does ultimately factor into the movie, but the way you get there doesn't necessarily have to get right there, but he kind of like goes to this whole big setup that he could have been much more direct and would just been, would have been effective, but letting Sam Jackson have like that four or five minute, this segment, it just, not, not many other films can get away with that and, right. and have, and have that be the midpoint of the movie. But I think like a lot of like films, like with him at least, he he has to because he knows. And I and, you know I've, I've heard interviews and stuff with him, and like the like he doesn't write like most people do. He doesn't do an outline. He writes, and then like a lot of people need to break it down because if they get to the end and they're just like, oh god, no, like I don't know where to take this at the end. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that problem. So it's like he like he knows where he's going well yeah i know but it's like same time it's like uh you get somebody that has that much power and self like able to control and have that much like praise heaped upon you it's easy to to be like well i know what i'm doing and not have anybody tell you no and and then start putting out maybe questionable product because it's just more you know like no one's giving you limitations for some reason he's still able to find like that excess but also I don't know, make it work. I don't, that's like, I don't know of anybody else right now that can do that and get away with it. Yeah. I think, I think just his, his, uh, being a film geek and, and loving, you know, what he does and, and, and writing, I think is great. And I, and I, I listened to an interview with him recently on an artist about how like he, he had so many more ideas for so many more things. 
Um, like he wanted to do like a Django paperback series to continue the adventures. He did do um, the only actual sequel to any of his stuff. He said he did a um, uh, a Zorro comic, Zorro, Django Zorro comic okay. crossover, a comic book, <laughs> which he wrote. Um, which I thought was cool. I didn't even know about that. And then, um, you know, he has backstories for Schultz from Django. Um, for Kill Bill, he had a ton of stuff. Like, he originally wanted it to have be like a trilogy that he trickles yeah. out like Star Wars. You know, he wanted to do an anime about Bill, all this stuff, you know. And he just, he has all this stuff, and it's whether he decides to use it or not, but it's like he can easily go down a rabbit hole of his own his own work. He could. And yeah. I think I think that's that's what makes it so interesting is he puts so much time and effort not on purpose but because when he writes stuff it's like he gets excited about the stuff he writes he wants to know more about his own stuff that he does so what did you think of the voiceover in hateful eight i thought it was okay well hold on I, and this isn't giving anything away in the movie there is there is a bit of a voiceover element to the movie in the second half that kind of comes out of nowhere yeah and it it works but it's like I, I read about it. That's actually Tarantino doing the voiceover. I, know. I knew it was him. I just, it's been a while since I heard his voice because I'd watched From Dust Till Dawn and he had a really weird, like, whiny voice in that. Yeah. Like, and it's just, he was creepy in that. Um, but he was the one doing the narration. So it's like, I'm the director, I'm the writer, and this is what's going on right now. And it's like, it felt very he, odd. It did feel odd. It felt very Tarantino. <laughs> it, it did feel odd. Um, the only thing I really liked about it. Like a live action director's was, commentary, real quick. Yeah. The only thing that I liked about it, because I wish he would have left out some of the stuff, like, because the... The the chapter, like, why? The chapter, because, what was it, Damaru's got a secret? Yeah. Yeah, I wish they would have left that out. Um, the only thing I wish they wouldn't have left out is when Obi drew straws. <laughs> yeah. So that's the only part I really enjoyed with him doing the narrative because I didn't feel like it took away from the movie, but I just, I don't, I think it probably wouldn't have made it as impactful with the rest of the scenes and it needed to be explained. And I also think it disarmed the, the audience a little bit because there's a bit of humor before everything hit the fan. And after what just did happen. So, yeah. 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 But, so, yeah. I, get, I mean, it serves a purpose, but it was just like two hours, really intense, like, western chamber film because everybody keeps calling it a chamber film because it's in like pretty much one location yeah and it's like you got this really intense moment and then all of a sudden it's like i hear the director talking about this movie it would have been like abrams coming halfway through and been like oh by the way here's what's going on in star wars like well, they just made the jump from hyperspace and yeah it's like yeah <laughs> and chewy says this like it would have been really bizarre um so we were we were going to uh, talk about uh just some other this uh, you had mentioned Tarantino movies you asked me my favorites uh, we talked about that mm-hmm. uh, clearly there's something about him and I know we talked about his celebration of like just wanting to make something cool and I think that's always been what's been driving him is he wanted to make cool things as opposed to important films and I think he also does a really good job of paying homage to a lot of other films which those movies are important to him and they're and, just cool movies but they're not but like, he does yeah. it in a way that like that that other people don't people like Hollywood nowadays is just like nostalgia. Hey, do you guys remember Ghostbusters? We're totally making a Ghostbusters film. Like Tarantino basically says, "I loved Ghostbusters. I'm going to do what Ivan Reitman did, but I'm not, but not make Ghostbusters. He's going to pay homage to Ivan Reitman's directing style and what he loved about that movie. Yeah, like um, just like. I know he said that his two biggest influences for Hateful Eight, which I find bizarre, he says Reservoir Dogs, which is his own movie, which I find that odd to be influenced by your own movie, but whatever. And The Thing. Like, he said those were his two. And he wanted oh, I to can recreate, totally see it. He wanted to recreate, he said, uh, watching The Thing in the theater, he wanted to re- recreate that sense of, like, um, dread and mistrust. 
And it's like, well, then you get Kurt Russell in snow and a, in a small room and, and a weird hat. You know, like it's just, you got to get all the elements that you need. You know, you just need some Wilford Brimley in there. That would have been like, well, that's know. the, I think that was what the mustache was. <laughs> like he, he said, you got to get a Wilford mustache. Yeah. Like or, that or, mustache. Yeah. Like I love the part. There's, there's some dialogue in the carriage and he just like, he starts yelling at Samuel Jackson. <laughs> or just, he touches he, his mustache. He like does this thing like, good day, sir. Just like swipes his mustache. And I started laughing so hard. Like it was some kind of implied insult that I've never yeah, heard before. It was like, like, it was like, like an, I swipe my stash at you. Like an angry motion where he just runs his fingers across his mustache. He's making himself appear larger for other enemies to be intimidated <laughs> yeah. by it. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> oh, that, that is funny. I, I forgot about that. Um, what was it I was going to put in here? Oh, yeah. Now that I've seen old man Kurt Russell in a Western... Um, I need to see Kurt Russell and Jeff Bridges as old angry guys in a Western. Ooh. What would, come on, that, they, they, that, they could be brothers. They could be brother bounty hunters. Two brothers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> two, two brothers. brothers in the West fighting the Mexican tomato tomato armada. <laughs> um, I just need to see those guys being just craggly old men angry. Yeah, that needs to happen. There needs to be a little. There needs to be more westerns. And like we were talking about it, like the Western period, it's only like two decades. But yeah, because like, I mean, you got like basically, and Tarantino kind of he found this odd, odd spot. It was like after the Civil War, um, so you still have like the people, their feelings for what had happened. There's still like a lot of racial tension. There's still a lot of civil national tension between North and South and the yeah. Yankees and stuff like that. Um, more, so, uh, not as much as Django. Django was like a lot more uh, tense in terms of like. Yeah, that. because it existed. The whole movie took place pretty much in the South. Yeah, and well, and, even in Wyoming, like we, I was talking about, like Wyoming isn't like like I don't even know if it's a state at that point. Maybe it is a state. I don't know. It might be a territory. Well, but like it's not like West West. Like you've got like Nevada, like all those like you know yeah. uh, like drier desert like type. You know the the dusty um, towns well, out in the West. The thing with with the westerns that are interesting is because it's like it's just right before what we view modern like the modern society in the sense of like um, the conveniences of technology, um, like the law actually being more frontier like, justice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what they talk about in the movie, frontier yeah. justice. But, but the whole thing is like you, if you go out and, and try to like, you know, claim your stake in the land and you work the land, if someone comes out and does you wrong, if there's not a sheriff around, you take care of it. And it's like, that's, you don't have that anymore. You know, right. it's like very much the end of one way of life. And then the modern age kind of started. And, and when I mean by modern, I mean, well, I think you know, like lot. quickly thereafter, you had a lot of access to electricity. Automobiles were invented. You know, flight wasn't far behind. Like the world was moving forward quickly with technology. A lot of it, I think, at least for me with Westerns, is just the the savageness of it. Like you're you're. You're in a you're in a environment in a time period where everything's trying to kill you, and you need to maintain your own justice. And I think that's also there's a sense of honor that I think permeates more movies right. and stories than actually the history shows. But there's kind of that implied like, well, we're just two men out here and we're going to abide by these rules, right? And it's like, and then the one you know, if one of you turn you know, does something wrong, then we'll have words. But otherwise, you know, that's what's going to happen. And I think the Revenant, which comes out this week. Kind of goes into that whole thing too. That, like, that's Nolan, isn't it? No, it's not Nolan. No, it's the guy uh, who directed uh, Birdman. Yeah, uh, that's the, I can't remember that guy's name, I but know. I know it's um. No, that's yeah. I don't know why I thought it was Nolan. Well, because you have DiCaprio. um DiCaprio and in it. Tom Hardy's in it, and too. the whole thing there. I mean, do you know the story of Hugh Glass? 
I know the story of the Revenant. I read the the synopsis of it, like him yeah, getting you, left behind with the bear attack. You should read the actual story, of Hugh Glass. Like that's ridiculous. This guy gets mauled, left for dead, fights his way back, hunts down every single person that did him wrong. It's like it's yeah. Sounds um, like, sounds like Michael Michael Parks. <laughs> That yeah, you wanted to mention Michael Parks. He is a Tarantino yeah. staple. I guess so, we'll mention him, and then we'll move on to to the other bits we have here. Yeah, I'll mention Michael Parks, and then this will bring us into the connected universes that, that Tarantino does. Um, Which so, we mentioned Red Apple cigarettes at the very beginning of the show. Yeah, so Michael Parks, uh, he's an actor. He's more famously known for playing Texas uh, Ranger Earl McGraw. He played it in um, From Dusk Till Dawn. He was the gentleman that got killed in the beginning while he was at Benny's. What was it well Benny's World of Blood, which it turned into, but it was Benny's World of Alcohol or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was something it was a basically <laughs> gas station alcohol store. Um and then he and then he played him again in um uh Kill Bill. He was investigating the bride's murder at the chapel. And then he played uh Earl McGraw in um Planet Terror and Death Proof. Okay. So Yeah. Uh he's a staple. He was also recently you guys might also remember him from uh uh Kevin Smith's movies Red State. He was the Really crazy leader of the church that he just didn't, and just scary, he scary actually, good. He actually played um, two roles in Kill Bill. He played he played Earl McGraw, but he also played Esteban, Esteban Vejo, who is uh, Bill's <laughs> mentor, mentor yeah. or father. And I guess the person that they had cast for Esteban, he either didn't make it or he didn't show up or something happened where during filming, like they couldn't use him, and and. Tarantino was just like he, Michael Parks was like I'll do it and he was just like okay like he wasn't even initially cast as Esteban but he played Esteban and Earl McGraw in Kill Bill so that, yeah and that's uh yeah there's only there's there's like one other actor that's only played two parts in the same movie for Tarantino usually it's just they have their standalone parts and that's that but so that's you're telling what, me about Michael Parks so this guy Michael yeah. Parks the the gen, the gentleman Michael Parks he like his Sir Michael Parks Sir Michael Parks uh if his his IMDb biography trivia is is pretty impressive. Um, he he uh, prior to becoming an actor, he he did he he dig ditches, picked fruit, drive, drove trucks, and he fought forest fires. Um, he turned down an offer to play minor league baseball for the Pirates uh, because he was making more money upholstering caskets. That tells you how much baseball paid back then. Yep, and then um, he. Attempted to qualify for the 1972 Olympics as a mile runner with a time of 4.06. Already he's done more than I ever do with my life right there. You just mentioned, like, I will never do any of those things. And then he recorded about half a dozen country blues jazz albums (laughs) in the late 60s and 70s. Um, Personally went up and saved the Apollo 13 mission. Yeah. He he flew with no spacecraft. He He was a pallbearer for Lenny Bruce. Uh... Yeah, there's just it's just one of those people that you read his life and you're like, how come this guy either isn't more popular, or just it's just one of those guys. It's like I you you probably hear a story of like, oh my cat was stuck in a tree and Michael Park saved it and just walked away singing a song. Like it's that's what you expect. Yeah, it's just like this this guy like and Tarantino brought him back. Like he was kind of popular and successful for what he was, and then he was kind of kind of maligned. And Tarantino does that too, where he brings like actors that he loved watching growing up or people that he knew. Like we're capable, like that's because he he um, basically brought Travolta back from the dead. Yeah, you know, and there's a couple other people too that he's like, he gave well, them a shot. And I guess like, well, his son James James Parks plays. Uh, he played his son in Death Proof, 
the one of the other text okay. strangers um son number one i think was the yeah character. number one son number yeah. one son that was that was his son and then his son played uh the um the stagecoach driver in hateful eight so yeah. if you're watching james park's son uh or michael park's son james parks is ob in um uh and uh hateful eight so that's just a little fun trivia facts about michael park somebody probably didn't even know about but when you when you see him and you're just like that guy seems like a tough son of a bitch and he looks cool yeah he, he really he is. is a tough son of a bitch yeah um so the connected universe of Quentin Tarantino Quentin Tarantino loves using the same last names or uh, the same uh, character to reappear in another movie with all of his stuff so some of the some of the things that I found and some of the things I've known um. So in Reservoir Dogs, uh, Vic Vega's um, parole officer is Seymour Scagnetti. Oh, and Scagnetti. And Scagnetti is the detective working on Natural Born Killers. Now, they're two different people. One's Jack, one's Seymour. Yeah. But it's the same last name, and they're believed to be brothers. Uh, And then um, in True Romance, uh, Len Donowitz was the producer uh that i guess that they were they were working with where they sold they sold a coke to him or something okay it's been a long time since yeah and um he is actually the son of the bear jew from uh (laughs) glorious bastards eli roth donnie donowitz eli roth yeah (laughs) with the bat um the fox force five mention in uh um Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Yeah. So uh, Mia Wallace was on a pilot for Fox Force Five. That was actually the conceptual beginning of the um, the uh, the assassin crew that was the Deadly Viper. The, something. Something. Yeah. Something for so Kill you Bill. had um, you had the the blonde who was the leader. That was basically uh, um, uh, Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah's character. Oh yeah, yeah. And then you had the the black girl who's the demolition specialist who was um, Renetta Green. Renetta or Cottonmouth? Yeah, okay. Cottonmouth. And then you had the the Japanese uh, Oranishi, and then the French girl who was the one um, Sophie, the one that she dismembered. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, and then you had the bride who Uma was. Yeah. So that's where you kind of got the Fox Force Five. Um, was the beginnings of Kill Bill. Hmm. Um, and then. Speaking of Kill Bill and Kill Bill, uh, Michael Madsen's character, he buried um, the bride in, uh, in a grave uh, marked Paula Schultz, and that was actually Christoph Waltz's wife from Django. Oh. So, huh. Yeah. I know, I know that. King Schultz. King, and, he, and he mentions about how his wife died and all that stuff, and that was her grave that they put uh, Beatrix Kiddo in. Hmm. Um, and then uh, tied back all the way from Pulp Fiction to... Uh, um, Kill Bill, because those those are separate. Uh, Bill talks to his brother Michael Madsen in the beginning of Kill Bill Volume Two, and he talks about how she's coming for everybody, and he asks how you know how are you on your swordplay? You've been practicing, and he tells him that he hocked it at a pawn shop, the Hattori Hanzo sword mm-hmm. that he gave him, and that's supposedly the katana that Butch takes down from the pawn shop and goes and <laughs> saves Ding Rames. <laughs> So oh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like it's it, it's interesting if you know, but it doesn't. It's not one of those things that you have to know to to enjoy those movies, which I think is also kind of important. It's, it's a way to it's a way to kind of like have some fun with it, but yeah. not like because there's some movies where you're like you watch a Marvel movie now, it's like oh, but this ties to six different things. You're and like, it's like oh, I know yeah. who that character is. Like yeah. you can't watch Age Ultron by itself and, and really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. It, unfortunately, yeah. And so yeah, they always mention Big Ahuna Burger. That's always a staple in his universe. Um, and That's then, right, yeah. And then Red Apple cigarettes, which we mentioned in the beginning. Uh, they mentioned Red Apple tobacco in, in um, <laughs> and Hateful uh, Eight. Hateful yeah. Eight. 
And then uh, Jackrabbit Slims, which they went to in uh, Pulp Fiction for dinner. Okay. There's a commercial on the air that Stephen Wright does in Reservoir Dogs, but you can barely hear it in the background, but it's for Jackrabbit oh. Slims. Okay. Um, Super sounds of the 70s. Uh, what <laughs> else do I have? Oh, two more. So uh, Alabama from True Romance okay. was actually the Alabama that Mr. White references when he's talking to uh, uh, Joe. When they're having coffee, okay. Uh, when he's talking about his old partner, and he hasn't talked to her for like a f- like like a few years, and then um, the spoiler, I guess the one I'm not going to really spoil this, but if you're a fan of Tarantino connected universes, um, there's a character in Hateful Eight that is connected to uh, Michael Fassbender's character in, in Glorious Bastards, and I'm not going to tell you who it is um, because it's kind of a reveal. Yeah, it's Samuel Jackson. Yeah, so, it's, it's great, great, great. Okay. Yeah, no, but it's not. But uh, when if you go see Hateful Eight, pay attention to people. You'll probably figure out who Michael Fassbender's character is related to. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. Overall, definitely, if you get a chance, like I said, go see the the Roadshow if it's still playing at Valley View uh, Cinema. If not, still, I still think it's worth checking out the theater, the movie in the theater anyway, because uh, it is an experience to see just a cool movie. And also, when do you see like? Um, like I said, chamber piece westerns being like major releases that people go actively out and see. Right, doesn't happen. So just uh, yeah. And I love I love the balls on this guy for opening up with Star Wars. <laughs> right, like, yeah. but I also think that that was put out um, for awards consideration. Yeah, because I think it comes out like to that's sneak, why they had the limited release to, to try to get it in. it in. Yeah, to sneak it in before the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think he was trying to go head to head with Star Wars, but and, <laughs> and I actually read an article about how he's pissed. Because there was that one theater that wouldn't yeah. that wouldn't show it because Disney kind of strong armed him. Disney strong armed him out of this one theater that was doing the seventy millimeter. Yeah, and it was like one of the few theaters, one of the fifty that could play seventy millimeter. And Disney was like, "No, we paid you all this money to play our super space movie." Yeah, it's like if you if you cut our run short, we won't we won't put the movie in there at all. Yeah, and so they're yeah. being they're being dicks about it, which <laughs> no big surprise. Yeah, um, <laughs> we talked about like so you talked about your favorite movie, the Tarantino movies. Favorite, like, just moment of, like, oh, my goodness, this is the most badass thing ever. Because Tarantino is full of badass moments. Famous, oh, oh my God, badass moments. Um, or just, like, like, so, like when you're watching, you're like, this is really, really cool. Like, I'll give you mine. It's after the fight with the Crazy 88, and she's walking up to see Oren, and it's on top of the roof. And I don't know why it starts snowing. Yeah. But you hear um, that the cover water. of... Oh. Of um, misunderstood. That's all in. Um, I forget what language it's in, but you hear that music playing, and they see her walking up before they have the big throwdown. That music fits that moment so well, and just seeing the snow falling and well, and all that. That's just like one of those moments that just goes together a, beautifully. There's a ton of moments in Kill Bill that, like, the whole scene where she goes after Oren, like from start to finish. I'm like, I love, I love yeah. the whole thing. I love when she's up there and it's snowing. I love how quiet it is, and you just hear that water. Mm-hmm. The little waterfall bucket thing, that's all you hear for and it's I mean, considering the chaos that just happened before that, yeah. Yeah. Um and then um I love how she kills Bill. Yeah. I just love how she just hits him with the five finger uh uh what was it? Exploiting Palm of something palm strike, right? yeah. I was gonna say five finger death punch, but that's the name yeah, of the band. That's not that's said not that right. too. I was like she put the C D in and she was like, How you like this? <laughs> I got your six. Yeah. Um <laughs> No, uh, yeah, I just love that because then, like, his face, and he's just like, he showed you the five finger 
yeah exploding palm technique and just, but just the way he gets up he's like i'm still gonna t- walk yeah. it out like a man and that was it like yep. <laughs> and he just walks it out and he's like why did you never tell me she's like because i'm a bad girl and i was yeah. like damn so and even the line i love one of my favorite lines in there is him explaining the analogy of um how superman pretends to be clark kent Mm-hmm. I think that's like such a great line that applies to so many other other things, especially superheroes. You know, because there's so many superheroes that pretend to be other people. Like, oh, you don't even know. You just stumbled into the last half of the show. Oh. Joe does not know. Okay, so I all think, right. Okay, so yeah, let's jump yeah, into yeah. the last. Half so, of the like, show. so real quick, uh, you guys can hit us up on our Facebook invasion of the podcast on Facebook, invading podcast on uh, a Gmail, invading podcast on Twitter. Um, would enjoy some conversation there. We do talk to tell to, us to all people. about your Tarantino stuff. Yeah, how, absolutely. How good are you at foot massages? Are you the foot master? Yes. Are you the foot master, or are you the key foot master? I don't know. Uh, I don't be tickling or nothing. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Joe did not know. He stumbled right into this, so um, I'm going to just play this real quick, and then we'll go into my story, because he, he doesn't follow sports, but I think this is funny. Hello, Veronica. This is Mike Rithgen. What did you say your name was? Mike Rithgen. It's not important. <laughs> yeah, so uh, <laughs> that'll come into play here in a second. So um, we're in Cleveland, um, and some of us happen to be Browns fans for one reason or another. There was the quarterback, Johnny Manziel, who has been a complete train wreck but he showed sparks of being a good player so we hoped right so joe doesn't know this because he doesn't follow football but um two weeks ago uh johnny they, they played in kansas city they lost he was like showing like promise and like you know like frustrated that they didn't win and but then a couple days later he supposedly showed up in in uh, the browns headquarters like having quote-unquote like concussion like symptoms so they put him into a, like what they call concussion protocol so he couldn't play the last game of the season in cleveland right concussion like symptoms yeah they, they <laughs> talked about like you know like uh sensitivity to light you know like headache is a, a lot vampire? of is it vampire yeah something <laughs> um so anyway this sunday the games in pittsburgh right there were supposedly a story and it's it's been pretty much verified now that he was in las vegas um while the browns were playing the steelers but he was reported uh, uh wearing a blonde wig a mustache and glasses and telling people his name was billy and was going out to these different places in Vegas, like strip club, gambling, all of this. And it became this thing where um, now people are getting these uh, Billy Vegas shirts made and all this. Uh, just like there's a shirt wow. that shows Manziel doing the money sign, but has a blonde wig and glasses and a mustache on the back. It says Billy with a number two. Like this is the most ridiculous thing that he didn't even want. He didn't want to be here. It was like, I'm going to go to Vegas. You know, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I know he's and, got problems in Vegas. That boy needs to stay. I love Vegas, but he needs to stay away from Vegas. He has a lot of problems, but didn't the fact he get caught doing Coke in Vegas? Probably. That's I don't know. like one of the rumors. I know. Yeah. And I don't think but, we're going to get sued for defamation of character on the show now. But my, my point is you mentioned, um, like costumes and identities. So I'm going to ask you, are you fooling anybody on a scale of one to five? Are you fooling anybody like Billy <laughs> Vegas? Not fooling anybody. Right. And I was going to save this one, but Clark Kent Superman. Are you fooling anybody? No. On a scale of one to... What's five? five I don't know. Five, five is, you're fooling you're somebody? You're fooling somebody, yeah. One. One? Yeah. I'm just wearing glasses, and I'm bumbling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here, I'll, I'll, I'll just do this one here. I had um, Emperor Palpatine. Are you fooling anybody? Really, before you became... Like, I know he got all force lightning in the face. So, wait, are you saying, like... Wait, are you saying Palpatine from from Palpatine to Sidious? Oh, I'm sorry. Is that, like... Yeah, I guess he became Sidious well, later. Yeah, because here's the thing. But, like, after 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 Order 66 and all the, all the shit at the fan, basically, everybody was just like, that's the Emperor. He's bad news. He's gonna... Even, even from, like... 
But uh, he had episode to be, one. He had to be like, sneaky are, as, like, as are a you, senator. Are you, are you fooling anybody that you're not the bad guy? So are you saying are like, you, is is I, he I, being I, sneaky I, being the senator? I guess because he was him, being sneaky in the prequels. He wasn't being sneaky in the original trilogy. No, no, you're right. Because at that point he okay. was full on emperor. So, right? so I mean, like, I at the time though, it's like, are you fooling anybody that you're actually just being a good guy? I would give him. I would give him a four. A four. Okay. A four. He's being sneaky. Because almost a five. I wouldn't give him a five because if somebody probably well actually no I give him a five okay because like his voice was different he had a different demeanor and he didn't talk to the right people that's he true. talked he talked to the people he had to talk to never so what did about he, like, <laughs> go ahead no one more I'm just gonna give you another Star Wars one real quick um, old Ben Kenobi who was actually Obi Wan Kenobi right are you fooling anybody. <sighs> Because you, you picked the name Old Ben that's almost like Obi-Wan. I don't really know who... And your last name's Kenobi. And you wore a robe. And yeah, you, had a, you had a beard. I would give him a two. Because <laughs> it's, po- it's a possibility that there's other Kenobis out there. That's true. But, like, you know, you're not fooling anybody. All right. So, uh, um, uh, Mr. Fix-It, uh, who was the bouncer personality oh, side. Are you not fooling anybody? No, that's a one. That's a one. There's nobody else that's so, that big and tall. So Mr. Fix-It, like, so the Hulk has had many iterations, and there was a time there where he was a Gray Hulk, mm-hmm. where he'd come out at nighttime. So it wasn't, like, all, it wasn't rage-dependent. It was, like, nighttime-dependent. I don't know why. But so at nighttime, he would be the Gray Hulk, which is a little smaller than the Green Hulk, but not by much. And he was a bouncer at a Vegas, like, casino. Mm-hmm. And he went by uh, Mr. F- Joe Fix-It, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, Joe Fix-It. Yeah, so you fooling anybody? No. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to say that's, a, like, a, a one. A one? Okay. A two. Maybe a two because of the color change. Because he wasn't wearing purple pants. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. I have, I have a couple that are, like, from the same thing, so bear with me right. here. Uh, Burt Macklin. Uh, is he fooling anybody? We know it's Andy. It's one. Okay, it's a one. Okay, what about Duke Silver? Now, Duke Silver is different. Yeah. Okay, Duke Silver was, he success. I'm going to give Duke Silver a three. A three? Yeah, okay. because Duke Silver, <laughs> he successfully kept that from just about everybody. Okay. Um, I love the episode when Lucy Lawless finds out who he is and those those other women are like so pissed at her. Yeah. <laughs> that was like <laughs> that was like my favorite thing. I was like, oh, she knows that Ron is Duke Silver. And, mm. and then like those two uh, Duke Silver fans, those women were like so pissed. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, this one's a little more obscure just because of like I had to read about this. Uh, Matt Murdock, Daredevil, right? Mm-hmm. He, um, for the longest time, because like since Daredevil can act like as the man without sight, but people don't know how he operates, yeah. he had faked a twin called Mike Murdoch that was the twin that could see. So he's trying to blame like, Oh, if you see me acting kind of odd, it's because of my twin brother, not me. So you fooling anybody, Matt Murdoch. You're fooling people with a two. I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) it's kind of unexpected. Like, but he could pull that off. I'd give him a, I'm not going to give him a three because it's kind of ridiculous. (laughs) You see me acting weird. That's because my twin brother who has perfect sight, you know, not me. All right. Um, he-Man and Prince Adam. Who are you fooling? <laughs> a, a one? Like, they look... It's, he doesn't put on a mask. All no, he does... He takes off more clothes. He takes off more clothes. If anything, he should have been running around in, like, a robe or, like, seven coats. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, Prince Adam, aren't you hot? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he can't be the same guy. <laughs> uh, uh, Khan from uh, End of Darkness... Slash John Harrison, you know, like uh, you fooled anybody, like because like the entire time the, the movie was like, oh, that's not con. They and kept then, it under wraps. Uh, well. I give him a four. I you know I'm not saying it was a good fooling. <laughs> it wasn't like a good reveal. Like no. oh, it is con. 
It's like, no. oh, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, uh, Metroplex of the Transformers. <laughs> Who are you fooling? You're fooling a whole city full of people. Yeah, but it's like if, if you go, like, if you are out, like, in the woods, you're like, where'd the city come from? And it's like, what the heck? And then the next day, it's like, well, there's not a city here anymore, but there was a large robot walking around. Like, I Who don't know. We'll give him a three. I think <laughs> Transformers get an inherent three. Like, this is yeah, other what, Transformers. What, what about some Transformers that, like, like um, that look at the Dinobots? Who are you fooling? Swoop? Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. not fooling anybody. What about the Insecticons? I don't. I don't look at the. I don't look at the Insecticons and the the, the Dinobots like trying to fool anything. I think it's just form function. <laughs> I think it's just like, man, that T Rex would would rip some stuff apart. But what, what about the later Transformers they introduced, where it's like, ah, this one's a space car, as opposed to like, like they didn't look like real world vehicles. They're yeah. like, screw it, they're like they're hot, Cybertronian, like, like Hot Rod and Cup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're not fooling anybody. Yeah, okay. I think I think that turns into just form function. It's like we all know there are robots out there. That chair's a robot. You know, my dishwasher's <laughs> a, a robot. robot. Yeah, it's like I don't care what you want to transform into. A mailbox, fine. <laughs> like Oh all right. Um so I think this one I'm saving the best one here for last. Uh Chris Gaines. Slash Garth Brooks. <laughs> yeah, I know who Chris Gaines is. <laughs> I'm gonna give him a, a four. Really? Really? Like he full of he well no no no, I'm gonna, the only reason I say four is because I all I can think you're going of, above Duke Silver. I the only <laughs> yeah the only reason I'm gonna give him a, I'm gonna give him a two. I said four because all I can think about is the time that he was on SNL and played and Chris played, Gaines as a performer. Yeah, and, yeah, then, and then, then yeah, and then Tracy Morgan came on and he was just like crap talking Chris and Gaines up and down, and Garth Brooks was standing right there, and like Lauren Michaels was like, "Uh, Tracy, maybe she's like, no." He's like, <laughs> and then there was the Mango skit where Mango, uh, like was in love with no no no, no, no Garth Brooks, Brooks was in love his, with Mango. Yeah, he created yeah. Chris Gaines to get closer to Mango. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So anyway, I thought in honor of Billy Vegas, aka yeah. Johnny Manziel, that would that would uh, who you fooling? There's some. There's got to be some other who you. I fallen. was trying to think of some like I just think like I was thinking of like El Cabong, you know, like yeah. um, but I like that's like that donkey. You remember with the mask and the the. What about whatever. Darth Revan? Darth Revan? Yeah, <laughs> who you fooling? <laughs> Everyone. Evidently. Apparently, your whole party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, but I couldn't think of any like other fun like you know that costume's really not quite like what someone, about uh, Princess Leia's Bosch. Yeah, um, someone wrote down the tick. Like, who are you fooling? It's like, but the tick's the tick, no matter what, right? Like, right. he never is it a costume? We he's, don't know. He is Superman. Like, he's he's like he would put glasses on to become Clark Kent. Yeah, yeah. the tick so, is always that way. Yeah. So I thought that was just a fun uh, fun thing to talk about. So um, anyway, this is it's been a, it's been a fun show. We talked to you know some Tarantino and some uh, and some poor life decisions, you know, by uh, other parties, not us. Yeah. yeah. Just so. remember anybody who from Cleveland who listens it. Like I don't I don't hate the Browns. I like the Browns. I just don't like all the money they're taking for people and not giving them anything. Well, that's why we talked we talked well of Gary Barnage last time because right. he did buy out. I'm not talking about Star- the specific players. I'm no, talking no. about the franchise. Yeah. Like, no, and, and just to clarify if Manziel was worth it then I wouldn't be making these. Like, we, this wouldn't be a story anyway. Like he wouldn't have been doing this. One of my coworkers, she went to the the Steelers game uh, for. Well, she went with like one of her friends for like a birthday present or something. I asked her. I was like, "How much did you spend? Like, you know, like tickets, drinks, all that stuff, parking." And she spent like a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. And what did you get out of that? Like, you you froze your ass off, and you got a disappointing loss from a, a team that went like 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 two wins the whole season. Yeah. I, I, you're absolutely right. Like, well, I, did you see the article that how Drew Carey renounced him? 
<laughs> he, I, well, I mean, I know he was um, frustrated. I don't yeah. know. He, he, well, he didn't renounce him, but like, <laughs> well, no, he pretty much did renounce him. If you, if I read it correctly, I mean, he well, the whole thing was like, you don't just go buying bad sandwiches because they're local. He's like, right. Yeah, his whole he's thing. like, stop wasting your money. Like, go put your money and energy into something else. This city has to offer that's good. Yeah. He basically said that the, the Browns are garbage, <laughs> which is amazing yeah. because like that he was probably one of the most famous Browns, well, biggest. Browns do you remember um, when they first came back as expansion? You know, like the big, they had a big Sunday night game. It was them versus the Steelers, which was a bad move because the Steelers just tore them apart. But Drew Carey was out there to like to be part of the opening thing, so mm-hmm. he he loves the team. But it, yeah, I like the Browns. I support Cleveland sports. I just thought whenever you're um, a highly talented draft pick and you're wearing a blonde wig going to Vegas when your team is still playing games. That's a bad look, but then also trying to convince people that it's not really you, that's a worse look. Yeah. So, and he's in but, Vegas. Like, but, but the legend of Billy Vegas will like, now live on. Like some 20-year-old kid in Vegas getting paid all this money from a professional sports team that doesn't produce. It's well, just... part of the story is when he was at the one restaurant or it was a strip club someplace where they're like, we need you to pay your tab. He's like, well, I, you know, he's like, I don't have my cards on me. I was hoping you could comp it. So like, he didn't want to actually use his card to show evidence of him being there, but it's like he just assumed people would cover him because he's, you know, that guy because he's billy vegas because he's billy vegas <laughs> how the hell do you pull that oh would you comp it because i'm kind of an nfl player but i'm not really an nfl no, player I'm, like cl- clearly i'm not <laughs> so uh anyway i um i had nothing else to say about that uh anyway people have have a safe week hit us up on our various social medias and we'll have some discussions we'll have some fun um in the meantime um eat the stew but uh but don't don't have anything else yeah This is Mike Rithchen. What did you say your name was? Mike Rithchen. It's not important. (laughs) 